Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We're going to continue our study today of the trial of Jesus before Pilate, actually the the two-tiered trial, we may call it that. And we talked extensively about it last week or last program, but I want to take the time today to go ahead and read John's account of what transpired at this particular time. And we'll begin with uh, Pilate talking to Jesus after the individuals had shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. And we'll pick up in verse 7 of John chapter 19. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a friend, or a king rather, speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the place of judgment. In, that is called the pavement, which in Hebrew is Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. I just find it amazing the comments made by the leaders of the Jews. I find it particularly interesting knowing the position that they occupied and the feelings that they had toward the Romans that the response was made, we have no king but Caesar. After Pilate returned to his residence to question Jesus further, John tells us that he was more afraid. Perhaps it was the interjection of God into the picture, coupled with the warning of the wife's dream that you mentioned before, Ross. Maybe it's all starting to weigh in a little bit on Herod. He asked Jesus, Who are you? Where do you come from? Jesus didn't give him any answer. So again, Pilate spoke and he said, Do you not speak to me? 
Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? Our Lord's reply to this shows that the matter doesn't really rest in Pilate's hands except by the deliberate choice of God. Pilate had no real acquaintance with Jesus other than what was happening right then. But the leaders of the Jews had opportunity to know better. They had personal knowledge of Jesus. They knew what he had done, and they knew what he had taught. They knew the prophecies of the prophets. Yet they were rejecting Jesus outright and delivering him for death, of whom much is given, much is expected. After this exchange, Pilate sought even more to release Jesus, only to be threatened with an appeal to Caesar on the issue of his having set a man free who had been arrested on the charge of claiming to be a king and therefore a rival of Caesar. Well, with this new threat, Pilate kind of determines that it's now time for this trial to come to an end. It had gone back and forth in the residence then back outside to the Jews. Now the final verdict was to be rendered. It takes place in the place called the pavement, evidently a spot for such an act located in the front of the palace. He told the Jews, Behold your king. And just that that phrase in the, in the particular time, as Jesus stands there clothed in a royal robe, beaten, bloody, wearing a crown of thorns, and Pilate offers him as the choice between Barabbas or this man, and he says, Behold your king. And they cry out, Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. That's amazing to me, to to know the, the feelings that the, the Jewish leaders had toward the expected Messiah. Jesus did not fit their particular expectations. But even at that, the cruelty with which he was treated is is stunning when you think about it. Yeah, you know, the call to behold your king, uh, I hope they did really let that image get burned into their into their memories because that same image of their king whom they whose crucifixion they were calling for would be what they recalled uh, 50, about 50 days from now in Acts 2 when when Peter preached that you have crucified the king and uh, and that would be the image that, that that they would recall and and their guilt would would come full upon their their heads you know, Pilate is not the only one who tried to absolve himself of guilt here. You might even say that the the people themselves tried to tried to present themselves as though they had no choice in calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. And what was their scapegoat? Look at uh, John chapter 19 verse 7. The Jews answered him, "We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die. Um, they, they tried to pass it off on God's word as though this was God's will that this happened. Jesus has already addressed this. Um, and he said, 
I, I am not going to judge you. Do not think, he says in John 5, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So this, uh, this excuse about blaming the law, well, if you ask the lawgiver, he would have said, hey, I told you he was coming, and when he comes, you need to hear him. Imagine Jesus standing up there and, and you know, being dressed as a earthly physical king back in, in the earlier portion of John 19 um, and, and standing amongst or in front of the crowd and, and hearing them you know yell out crucify him, you know kill him and for you know he knew all there was about them, loved them. later he's going to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do in the midst of them uh, mocking him even when he's on the cross and all of it just he came to die for all those people and their reaction you know the love that he has for them and it, I mean, it's just a pure hatred towards him to even you know refer to Caesar as their king throughout it and that he could have stopped this at any point and, and you know what these people don't deserve this that I am even willing to put myself in this position and they still are, view me with hatred. I've had to deal with this hatred you know, since I've been on this earth and that wasn't his reaction and he continues to go through it all. The, the love that he has to go through it even though the great hatred that is seen by people that should know better, people that of extreme religious um, intelligence that are stirring this, these people up and yelling these things out and should have been able to, to see and discern what the scripture was pointing to, pointing to Jesus, but their, their hatred of him. And I just, that image of him looking out and seeing his creation yell, crucify him is just beyond words. I find it interesting that Pilate asked for a basin of water to be brought to him and figuratively, he washes his hands of the blood of Jesus, saying that he was innocent of the blood of this righteous man, to which the Jewish people replied, his blood be on us and on our children. And it was about 6 a.m. Friday morning, John 19 and verse 14 uses the Roman method of keeping time. And again, then finally from, I guess it was fear and certainly lack of courage, Pilate releases Barabbas and delivers Jesus to be crucified. But you know, it's not, it's not over even yet. There's more torture to come in addition to the crucifixion because Jesus is going to be tortured by the Roman soldiers, uh, before they begin the journey to the site of the crucifixion. It appears in Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 30, and they also find it in Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 19. Are either you guys at either one of those places? Yeah, Matthew 27, 27 through 30. Mm-hmm. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. 
When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. It seems apparent to me that the death sentence had been meted out by Pilate, that the Roman soldiers took the opportunity to continue what, I don't know, the cruel sport of mocking the prisoner that they had begun earlier. Once again, Jesus was clothed in a scarlet robe as a king. But this time, the crown upon his head was a crown of thorns, taking the place of a royal crown. A reed was placed in his hand to sarcastically represent the scepter and to further ridicule his claim as being a king. They knelt before Jesus in mock humility. My friend, they they spat upon Jesus, and they took the reed from his hand, beating him about the head with it, driving those thorns even deeper into the brow of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all in preparation for setting out on the journey to the site of the crucifixion. Just, just amazing. I mean, even just the, the putting of the cloak on him. I mean, he, you know, his his back and from being flogged and what that must have felt like to have anything touch, touch wounds like that. And certainly when he gets put on the cross, um, the, just as Greg talked about the crown of thorns, being put on his head and I mean the reed beating it even more so into his head like a like a nail and a hammer beating it in in there and and what he goes through I'm also amazed that in a lot of the things that they say to Jesus in a mocking form are are true statements I mean he is the king of the Jews he is going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days he is the son of God and other things that they're going to say to him um, and other pieces of the of these events, just just amazing thing, and they challenge who he is as well. And even in the midst of all of it, he continues to be like, like a lamb as silent before his shears, and and enduring all of this, and the love he still has for them. And throughout all of these events, Jesus displays love, and if he displays love through this how much more so we should in in every instance of our lives as well. You know, Jesus, uh, before all this started happening, he rebuked the uh, Pharisees in Matthew 23 for saying, you know, if we'd been alive in the days of the prophets, we never would have killed them like our fathers did. And, uh, you know, I think we could probably see ourselves the same way that they did in those days, thinking that if we were if we were there, we would never have gone along with this. And I think there's a song that we sing sometimes in our assemblies that that really answers this. And it is, I think, titled "I'm the One." You know, I wasn't there to drive the nails and 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 perform all these deeds, but I'm the one. I'm the one who shouted "Crucify!" is what the uh, chorus says, and. Uh, I think there's something that re- we really need to come to terms with. That every time, every time we choose uh, to rebel, and you know, with full knowledge of what we are doing, uh, in if we choose to sin and we choose to close our eyes and our hearts and our ears to God's word, 
we are essentially saying that at least right now I have no king but 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 me you know I have no king but Caesar so we really need to instead of uh, it's, it's easy to pile on this generation but we need to see ourselves in it let's go ahead and look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 23 beginning with verse 26 and reading on down through verse 33 now as they led him away they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that Jesus might bear it. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wounds that never bore, and breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. Having finished their, their cruel, cruel taunting, the soldiers take the robe from Jesus, put his own garments upon him, lead the Lord away to be crucified. John tells us they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross. Actually, it was customary for the condemned man to bear his own cross. Actually, customarily, they carried the cross beam of the cross, which it has been estimated in itself weighed in the neighborhood of 60 pounds. So that's what Jesus was being asked to carry. The uprights were already in the ground and they were permanently in the ground so jesus begins this journey carrying that weight but must have been unable to bear under it so they get simon of cyrene but when we consider the tremendous emotional and physical abuse to which jesus had been subjected over the last 24-hour period it's no wonder that Jesus could not continue to carry that weight. Matthew tells us as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to go with them to bear his cross. Perhaps they reached the city gate and Jesus could just go no further. If we look at Mark's account, it says, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country. As the crucifixion party was going out, Simon was coming in. He was chosen by the Roman soldiers to bear the cross for Jesus. Luke makes it clear that two other individuals, criminals, were also part of the procession. These had evidently already been condemned to death and had been awaiting a suitable opportunity for their execution. As the procession continues on its deadly journey, a great multitude of people are following 
The women in the crowd are lamenting and wailing over the Lord. But instead of joining in with them, weeping and wailing for himself, Jesus told them, weep for themselves and for their children. It's important to note that Jesus was not being overwhelmed and destroyed by superior force. He was giving himself voluntarily in fulfillment of the will of God. But the Jews, by their actions, were condemning themselves. Jesus warned them that because of their rejection of him, destruction of a devastating nature would take place later. Luke chapter 23 and verse 31 tells us, For if they do these things in the green tree, what will they do in the dry? You know, you spoke there of Jesus willingly offering himself and his willing participation to go through all of this. I think is noteworthy in a few instances, the, his willingness to carry this cross. I mean, as an, as an innocent man, I might, I might have thought, I'm not carrying that cross. I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. Uh, the fact that they took a reed and they put it in his hand means he was willing to grasp it. He held that, which, which shows he willingly subjected himself to this mistreatment. And he, he did that for us. As he passes by and sees those uh, few mourning for him, lamenting him, he says, Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. For the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. I think he's pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. Similar language to the language that Hosea used when he foretold destruction that was coming upon the nation. When he says, mercifully, Hosea calls for the Lord. What will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Hosea 9.14. So mercifully, he says, it would be a blessing to you if you are barren, if you have a miscarrying womb, if you are not caring for children in these days. So Jesus uh, gives a little perspective that uh, there will be a, a heavenly response. There will be an answer, and vindication will come. I think we see uh, an amazing thing throughout Jesus' whole earthly life is his care for other people. And we certainly see it here. We're going to see it on the cross. But in the midst of, you know, it, it can be hard when you're, when you're sick with just like a fever from, for us personally to be thinking about other people because we just want to sit, oftentimes want to sit down, and, and you'll lay around, and, and there's nothing wrong with that by any means, and to, and to heal up. But with what Jesus has just gone through, being beaten as he has been beating, the, the weight that he has on him physically, the weight that he has on him mentally, throughout all of this, and he looks over at them and tells and is concerned about them to stop weeping, but weep for yourselves, and is focused on, on them, his care that he's going to have for other people in the midst of all of this. It's just remarkable in his attitude that he's going to have in the in the midst of such amazing and awful suffering, his care for other people. The crucifixion site itself was outside of the city walls, and that's significant. It was near to the city, but outside of the city walls. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12 and John chapter 19 and verse 20 are specific about that. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 32 and John chapter 19 and verse 17 imply it. 
The exact location of the site of the crucifixion is not known, although it has been the site of a whole lot of conjecture and so much tradition. Why was it called the place of the skull? That's also been a matter of considerable conjecture. I've found in my study two plausible explanations that have been offered. The most unlikely is that skulls have been found at that particular location. More likely, it was so called because it was a hill that had a certain physical makeup giving it the appearance of a skull. But the truth of the matter is, no one knows for certain. When they arrived at the crucifixion site, Jesus was offered a drink of wine mingled with gall and myrrh. It was intended to dull the senses of those being crucified and somehow slighten the agony a little bit. But after tasting it, Jesus refused to drink. Having come to this point, Jesus would do nothing that would lessen the suffering or dull his awareness. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention that your reference to outside the camp, while noted in Hebrews 13, was rooted in the law of Moses. Uh, For example, in Leviticus 16, verse 27, where it called for the bull of the sin offering and goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Jesus certainly fulfills that prophecy. Well, that's going to have to do it as we are talking today. We are finding ourselves at the site of the crucifixion. And in the next lesson, we will be talking about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for listening. We encourage you to invite your friends to listen and ask you to get in touch with us at www.nkcofc.com. We'd be happy to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better, and there's much that you can do on the website. So thanks for listening.